Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Ron Funches knows he's a giggly teddy bear, but how much do you know about Ron Funches? Since moving from Portland, Oregon to Los Angeles, Funches has found success as a writer, actor, and stand-up comedian, with roles on Comedy Central's Kroll Show, IFC's Portlandia, and now as Shelly, one of the seemingly undateable regulars on the sitcom Undateable, which starts its third season in the fall of 2015 with a full slate of live primetime episodes on NBC. Funches recently shaved his beard to play a prostitute in a scene for Bruce Willis's upcoming movie Going Under. He tells me all about that and more in his journey toward Hollywood success and staying happy with where he's at as a single father trying to make it in show business. So let's get to it. So, Ron Funches. Uh, Hello. Last things first. Uh, <laughs> I know we both, re- for our listening audience, uh, unless you already follow Ron on Instagram and other social media, you might not know that, that both of us have shaved recently. Yes, we both have shaved. Uh, mine was just, uh, I shaved on July 3rd just uh, to see what my face looked like. You mm-hmm. did it for a role though, right? Yeah, yeah, I did it. That's always, uh, that's been funny because people have been seeing me walk around and uh, they were like, oh, did you shave because of summer? Because it's hot? And I was like, uh, yeah, a little bit, but also because I had to be a transsexual prostitute in a movie. And then they were like, oh, yeah, that old thing. It's always either it's too hot or you got to be a transsexual prostitute in a movie. Everybody knows that. <laughs> now, now, was that an issue? Uh, I mean, when you auditioned or when you were up for the role, were they like, oh, I don't know, with that beard, can he, is he willing to shave it? Or No, it never even came up. I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I just heard, hey, do you want to audition for this movie that Bruce Willis is starring in? And, and then I was like, yeah, whatever. And then they were like, well, the role is that you're a, a, a prostitute. And I was like, okay, cool. And then uh, when I got it, then, then I realized, oh, I'm going to have to shave a, a lot of things. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, that was a unique experience. Um, uh, it feels good on your legs. Uh, it feels real breezy. I feel like we all should just do it, uh, men and women. Uh, but it's a lot of work as well and I probably will never do it again unless I have to or uh, you know it's just a good Saturday night out you know <laughs> uh, what was the most difficult part to shave uh, back my back uh, my son had to help me so I'm probably gonna have to pay for some therapy lessons for him uh, cause he just had to help me get my back uh, then I found out that I didn't even really need to do that and that I had went overboard a little bit and that I could probably just left my chest and my back alone and um, would have been just fine <laughs> but I mean he ended up so smooth yeah it felt good uh, gave himself a little razor burn so I don't care for that mm-hmm. but it felt good and it was a fun experience so it was fun I liked it what was the last time that you had shaved your face um, the last time I got my face shaved was probably like four or five, maybe it's like six years ago. Um, but it was also a bad experience. I guess not also bad. This was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this one was a bad experience. Uh, I had gotten, um, um, MRSA in, in my oh. face. And, oh, wow. And like, it kind of like blew half of my face up and I almost died. Um, it was 
horrible experiences over Valentine's Day. Spent Valentine's Day in the hospital and ICU. Um, I guess I was in such bad condition and people could tell I was so poor that my nurse actually, uh, when I got home, she had sent me a card with $100 in it, just hoping and just being like, I hope things get better for you. And I was like, whoa, I must have been really bad. I must have been in a bad position if, if my nurse sent me some money. Uh, and so that's what the last time I shaved, because then, like, once that happened, I couldn't have any hair on my face for a while. And so I just looked sickly and uh, real weird. And this is when month. you were in Portland? Mm-hmm. Well, so, much of, so much has changed in your life since almost dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it tends to. <laughs> it tends to kickstart things. Wow. <laughs> do, do, you th- do you think about how far you've come? In just the last five, six years? Oh, I mean, I just feel more relaxed and, and happy and less stressed. That's pretty much it. But I've always, for me, I'm, it, uh, I never really look at anything like that since, probably since, like, when I first got on Conan. Because at first, I remember um, always wanting always looking for like oh what's going to be the thing that makes me okay what's going to be the thing that tells me that i've made it and i was like oh i get on kona like this is going to be it and then i get on kona and then like you know there's always the next day and you got to go back and you got to get back to work you got to work on new material and, and you know you can never take it for granted off of what you did the day before and once that kind of clicked for me it was more relaxing i was just like i'm just gonna just try to do different experiences and, and do things I've never done before or things I never thought I'd do it's just like this movie and it was weird to me to talk to some of the like the guys who also had to be some of the uh, other prostitutes and hear that because uh, they were the stuntmen because they had to do some stunts for it okay. and no spoilers um, no spoilers yeah but a lot of the <laughs> but I guess um, it had made it pretty far down the stuntman chain before people took it up, and I was just like, "That's ridiculous." I mean, like, just because you have to wear like a dress and shave your legs, I mean, you still like. I would never in my life think I'd work with Bruce Willis from Die Hard, and yeah. never get that experience. And I was like, "Oh, I'll shave my legs and put on a dress to go hang out with Bruce Willis if that's what he wants." <laughs> <laughs> that's what he'll get. <laughs> it was awesome, and I learned so much from working with him, and he was such a cool guy. It was a great experience, and, and that's pretty much all I focus on now is, like, what's going to be a thing I haven't done before that I can go do, and and it's not like, oh, I'm like, I mean, I'm definitely happy. I definitely talked to my mom, and I'm just like, oh, I remember when I, like, I couldn't afford anything at all. Like, I just would just take gigs and be like, I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to get there because I don't have any money, and now they'll just be like, oh, I'm going to do gigs. And sometimes I even forget how much money they're paying me because I didn't check in because I just, um, okay. And I'm just like, and I just want to go to this place. And that's the, like, to not have to go to places I don't want to go to to get money is probably the biggest difference. Yeah. And I just kind of relax and now just kind of do the jokes that I really want to hear. Well, uh, what would you say is, the, is the, the, the biggest thing so far you've already learned from, from working with Bruce Willis? Um, it just, he was very in charge of his situation, and I know that's something that's going to come with experience and, um, you know, just knowledge that I don't necessarily have yet, uh, but just to know when to speak up and when to, um, take control of things and that, you know, at the end of it, it's your face out there and, and, and your 
reputation and you always have to be aware of that and and, and I learned that more when like when I have to do like different promos or things and if I want to change something mm-hmm. to be aggressive enough to be like no I want to do this because I know this is funnier if we do it this way and, and, and you know and a lot of times you don't want to do that because it's going to hurt someone's feelings and I just know like at the end of it they don't know that that person wrote that you know they know I said it <laughs> you know and so I have to uh, just make sure that I, I look out for that and then you know not really with undateable or anything we have great writers but like sometimes with like commercials or pr- promo stuff mm-hmm. and you're just like if I say that I'm going to look like an idiot and I don't, I don't want that to happen now, you mentioned your son. How old is your son now? He's 12. He's 12. So when you were 12, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be a comedian. Already by 12? Yeah, for sure. What what had what had, what had inspired you that, that young? Uh, pretty much um, when I was a kid. That's just, like, I just grew up in the south side of Chicago. It's not really the best of areas. And, certain, and I've always been an indoor kid anyway. And so... Um, and we just had a really good base of comedy around us. Uh, I would always watch like I Love Lucy and, and Benny Hill would come on after the cartoons, and um, it just really interested me. Benny Hill because boobs, and then I Love Lucy was just like this is really funny. And then my mom was always really into stand up, and she'd watch like Comic View and and, and Richard Pryor and, and Chris Rock and stuff, and she always was uh, into. We'd go to the video store and we'd always like you know rent like a new uh, movie and then we'd also get like oh what's Bernie Mac up to what's he saying and, and, and you know it's just I had a, always had just comedy around me and I was always interested in comedy from a very young age at what point did you think oh this is something that I could do too as a career uh, I mean that took a long time it was something that always felt like it was a calling for me something that I wanted to do but I didn't feel like it was a real thing I felt like it was like oh you're like I want to be movie star I want to be like a basketball athlete I felt like those people were chosen or something you know and I didn't know that you, you could just go to an open mic and see a bunch of horrible people and if you can Whoever stops being horrible the fastest can, can move up, you know, and, and I didn't know those things. So I just kind of, it took, I remember being a teenager, because I was always very shy, but by the time I was like 13 or 14, like my family would always just be like, you know, and they, they always call me Kyle, because it's my middle name and my dad's name is Ron. And they just be like, Kyle's funny. He like, did you know? Did you know? He, he, no, he like. No, for real, he's he's for real funny. Because I would just always be like, I never class clown, but I'm always the guy that just kind of like side making fun of people. That's just like what I like to do. And uh, so I just kind of, when I started noticing that my family member always liked being around me because I made them laugh, that when I was like, oh, I'm funny. But I didn't know I could like make money with that. So what did you do to make money? Early on, um, I worked at a bank. I worked at a uh, grocery outlet store, uh, which is shouldn't really exist, I believe, right? Should you just have grocery store? They shouldn't be like, hey, uh, groceries. Do you do you want a lower level of groceries? <laughs> I think it's a it's a it's a narrow step in between grocery grocery outlet and then food bank. Yeah. Grocery outlet is kind of. Yes, right in between there. You're like, you're, you're like, well, I got a dollar. Like, I have a dollar. I can, I can do some of it. Cheez-Its, maybe? Or knockoff Cheez-Its? Cheese Watts. <laughs> so I did that. 
uh, for a while, and uh, both of the jobs kind of uh, also still were like, oh, I'm funny, and that's what making these jobs okay. So I worked as a cashier, and, and um, people would always just, like, my line would be, like, twice as long, and then other people would be open, and people would just be like, no, like, I want to go to this line because I like talking to him. And which I thought was fun for a while until you're until you're like, oh, I'm still making eight dollars an hour. You know, it's still horrible. So it's cool to be popular, but it sucks. And, uh, and then same thing at the bank job was just it was just talking to people. I was I was horrible at it. I was never good at it, but I could talk to the people. So they let me do it for like a year and a half. Yeah, customer. I mean, comedians really do well in customer service. Yeah, jobs. We can slide through as long as they. As long as they don't keep track of how many calls. That was always the thing that and it would make people so mad because you were always like, take 100 calls a day, take 100 calls a day. And they put it up at the end of the board and you see like someone like 140 calls a day, 130 calls a day, other people 100. And then you see me 30, <laughs> 30 calls. <laughs> but you had 30 like substantial yeah, calls. Yeah, they, like, they, they all left happy. <laughs> So how did you, going from that to the horrible open mics to the horrible open mics, how did you find out about that that world existed? It was out there waiting for you. Uh, basically, I, I had started doing some, because um, with, the, with the bank job, they did a lot of corporate functions and things, and they would do corporate uh, seminars to try to help your teammates deal with the job and at one point they let me make these video and they're like try to make a, like a little video they let me get off work for like two weeks i didn't have to answer phone calls i just had to make this video for like two weeks oh, wow. and i made it and it was funny i mean it's you know it was funny for a corporate thing <laughs> and uh they showed it at the big corporate thing and people liked it and i was like oh if you guys think this is funny and this is like i think this is horrible like i just was like cool thank you for letting me get off work and <laughs> and make fun of this job for a little bit uh but if you was like oh maybe if i write what about what i actually enjoy i could really be funny and um and then they were like hey why don't you go back to work on those phones and i was like no i don't think i can do that now because you because i let me Go, the worst thing is that they let me go see people watch it, you know? Once I saw people watching it and laughing at me and, like, really enjoying it, I was just like, this is the best feeling I've ever had. And I was like, I just want to go do that. And so then I started looking up open mics in Portland, and um, it took me a couple months to get up the courage, and I went out and, and did Horrible over at Harvey's Horrible Comedy Club. Mm, and uh, But just had a buzz and you know just you know people talk about it all the time just i just I was like this is it this is it how long did it take you to start getting paid uh it took me i mean it paid the difference there's a big difference between getting paid and getting paid well right. um i was getting uh like road work as a feature around locally pretty quickly maybe like two or three years uh, but i needed to because i had my son already and that was one of the main things about when I told my mom that I wanted to do comedy, it was like, she was like, well, if you're going to do it, you better, you can't fuck around. You can't be doing it for fun. You got to, you have to be serious. And I always took that very seriously. And so I was like, I have to make money. I don't care if it's like $25, $50, month. I have to make money somehow doing this. So I like, uh, hosted my own show. We work off of donations and I'd use that to like go home and feed my son. And, uh, we, 
I would just go make, you know, 25, 50 bucks opening for people around town and go home. And then, then that's, I mean, that's how we lived for a while was just that. And it was, it was not easy. And it uh, was not fun. I don't recommend it. If you can just open mic and keep a regular job, go ahead and do that. Uh, I probably, that would have been the easiest route. But um, I, I always have to learn things the hard way. <laughs> did you, speaking of doing things the hard way, did you ever do a triple run? Uh, no. Luckily, I've never done a triple run. Wow. And the only reason is that uh, his booker and I both did a show together mm-hmm. once in like Kalama, Washington. And I, um, I was doing the stuff I like to do <laughs> in Kalama, Washington, and it did not go well, and they hated me, and he was just like, oh, no, I don't think we have anything for you. And it was really probably one of the best things that could happen to me, because if I had done that, I would have learned how to pander so much on the road, you know? And, right, and well, I doing would... one-nighters in the intercontinental yeah. Mountain West, it's... Yeah, different. I would have hated comedy, and I would have quit probably because I or I would have become a bad comedian to survive and luckily just him seeing me do poorly let me just be like all right I'm just gonna go in Portland or I'm gonna go take my own little train trips up to Seattle and because at that time Seattle was a much bigger scene than Portland and um, I'm, so I'm gonna go to places that I know have people that I like to go see and so that's I would just go up and down the coast Seattle Portland and uh, San Francisco trying to trying to get because I was like well, these are the places that have the comedy I like to see so I want to go to these places and have people try to find me what was your what was your first killer closer or bit that you that you <laughs> knew it was like okay I'm doing this for real now because I've got this thing uh, this bit that everybody loves no matter where I do it um I probably I just had this bit about being in Oregon and the differences between Oregon and Chicago and uh, blackberries bit that I do or talk about in the, you know, Chicago there's gangs and violence and we're like oh it's a gang member oh it's a crackhead in Oregon you know like, oh the blackberries are in season and like that always got like like such a solid reaction and at first I was just like oh maybe people like it because it's in Oregon I'm doing this joke in Oregon but mm-hmm. I did it once I did it in Seattle and they liked it and I was just like oh I just can write a good joke maybe and that was when I was like oh these jokes are working in other places. Maybe I can actually be funny, uh, you know, outside of Portland. Did you have, when you were when you were first hitting the road, did you have somebody that you toured with on the regular? I had a few people. I've had a couple bad headliners that don't particularly want to mention their names. <laughs> uh, but um, in, in Oregon in general, there was uh, Dwight Slade, um, who uh, he kind of really helped me out a lot when I was looking for... Uh, when I was looking for some guidance and uh, because you know there's a whole couple there's a lot of different worlds in stand-up and when you're first starting there's this like this horrible bar world that you can fall into of of doing just this bad mean comedy and some people are really good at it but for me it's not my style and I didn't want to do it and and that's what I was seeing and I was seeing those type of headliners that uh, would get on be on the phones with their wives while you know having a girl next to them and and i was just like i don't want to like if this is what comedy is about like that's not my thing and luckily uh, i found dwight and he was just a fun weird person that uh would be like hey you want to go to this monastery and you want to go like 
you know, just let's just go check this place out. Let's go buy some candles. Let's go buy some baklava. Let's just go have, you know, and I was just like, okay, oh, this is what it's about. It's just about being fun, going out and, and, and just checking out new experiences and telling jokes. And then you you don't have to be a bad person, you know, and, and that I'm very thankful that he taught me that I could just be myself and I don't have to, you know, you have to be like, ah, I'm chasing buzzing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I mean, you're mentioning like being yourself on and off stage. How did you find your, your particular voice on stage? Um, it's just a lot of trial and error and a lot of, uh, of it being also weird for me off stage was <laughs> like, you know, I come from, um, pretty cool family. My mom's super like cool about just like, hey, just be yourself and, and do what you want to do. Uh, which is now weird because like my sister is like a conservative Christian doctor mm-hmm. and then I'm like a super not conservative comedian and it's just like it's just like oh you got both sides that's what you get when you you tell everybody to be themselves uh, and so it's just always and I moved around a lot like I moved from Chicago to Oregon and and um, have been to California and been in a lot of different places and it, and it, at a young age it saw that like different places have like whole different things that are cool in one place aren't necessarily cool in another place and you can't be like oh I want to follow this trend and I want to be cool like this person because like if you were in a whole different city you would be laughed at that's what like what I knew from Chicago and Oregon I was like oh what's cool in Oregon all my friends in Chicago would just make fun of you completely and so it was just like, oh, I can, why do I care about any of it? Well, I can just enjoy what I want to watch. And, and I always loved wrestling and video games. And, you know, and, and they're a little bit now, like when you, you like nerdy stuff, people are, are kind of like, oh, everybody's quirky and nerdy. But like, you know, <laughs> at that time it was, if you saw like someone with an electronic boutique, like bag or a, a wizard magazine, um, you got beat up, you know, and it's just like was, like, I learned. I was like, I don't care. I want to like what I like, and that's fine. And that's what I love now. Is being an adult that loves wrestling and still have a beautiful girlfriend that goes to wrestling with me. It's awesome. You're, you're living the dream. I am. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many years had you been doing stand up when you decided to move from Portland to Los Angeles? Um, I've been doing it for probably about, what, six, okay, so, so almost nine years, been three, it's about six years. And how did you know it was time? Uh, it just was, I'd already done, like, Conan, and I'd already done a couple other things, and I knew I wanted to do some acting, and I knew that, um, I wasn't necessarily going to find the acting classes in Portland that were going to teach me how to do on-screen acting, and... I just knew that, uh, like some of the reactions that I was getting in the clubs in Portland or in the showcases in Portland were more because like, oh yeah, we love this guy, instead of like, this was a great joke. Because I was just like, I know that joke's not done. I know the joke isn't great. Why are you giving it that reaction? It's not honest. And that, that, when that happens, it's just like, oh, I can't, I don't have any use to be here anymore because I can't really gauge where I'm at if I'm not being told the truth. And uh, and I just was like, you know, it was just, I always feel like there's a big difference when, you, when you're in Portland and stuff, you can go and you can open for some fun people like Mark Marin or whatever, but it's a 
big difference to have to follow them weekly and just uh, learn to still keep your rhythm and be yourself while having to follow Louis C.K. or Mark Maron who just happened to just drop in, you know? And I feel like that's like, you know, that's like the master class. That's the going to college. And I was ready to go to college. Like, you know, Portland was was high school and I was ready to go and, le- and learn some more things at, at college. Who's the, speaking of uh, tough people to follow, when you see a lineup and you're looking at the names, who's the last person you want to s- see that you have to go up after? Um, for me, it's Todd Barry, just because our energies are so similar. Mm. Uh, that And he's a great joke writer and it's just like... Uh, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, like, I, like, I always love a challenge, because, like, when someone's great, like, it doesn't matter if I'm, like, following someone great, but, like, man, our energies are just so similar that I don't, I don't like following you at all, uh, but I love listening to them, uh, but, uh, like, Chris D'Elia is going to be difficult, I've had to, that's how we met, was that, uh, he, we were at the improv, and I was on a show he was on, and it was, like, one of the, I moved there, like, Two, maybe a month before and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had because he just kind of like shows up he's like oh I got another set so I, I need to go now <laughs> and he's like do you mind bro and I was like yeah no of course what am I going to say what am I going to say you right. sorry you're Mr. Delia, uh, but I'm going now uh, especially so, when you're new in town yeah but the show is like you know all built around him oh. he goes up everybody loves it um, they go out, uh, the host forgets that I'm supposed to go up. And so they just close out the show. Oh, and man. I am uh, happy at this point because Chris had destroyed it. And I was like, I don't want to follow that. Right. And so cool. Right, let's go home. I just <laughs> didn't get to do this set. Uh, but in a stroke of pure, pure terror, uh, after every, the lights are up, the music is playing, people are filing out. He just goes, oh, hold on. Wait a minute. I forgot. <laughs> the lights are on. Lights People are on. Are filtering out. Half of the crowd's gone. But he's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. We have a special guest. So not only does he stop the show and completely fuck with the momentum, he, only, he sets the precedent that this next guy <laughs> is worth coming back in. Turning the lights back off, cause we got a special guest. Who could it be? Who could have dropped in? Who could it be? Is it Chris Rock? Is it Eddie Murphy? <laughs> it must be. If they're stopping the show and restarting it, it mm. must be Lucille Ball back from the grave. Uh, Benny Hill and Model. <laughs> <laughs> but it was no. It was the guy who had moved. To LA a month prior. Oh, wow. How did you? How did so? How did you handle that? I just acknowledged it, which is really? all. The only thing you can really do at the point was uh, be like, "Hey, uh, this is the worst possible way for me to come up here right now. Uh, the show's over. You guys had enough. You've you've had fun. You're ready to go, and I don't blame you." And then I did a few jokes and. Uh, and then got the hell out of there and went home upset. Uh, but it it was still just a like experience to be like, oh, I can do anything. And that's like mm-hmm. I learned at the, like the comedy store and stuff like that when you're going up at like one or two a.m. and there's like twelve people and you're like, I'm gonna still do my rhythm. I'm gonna do my jokes. I'm gonna try to find new things while I'm here. 
And because it's not about whether there's 12 people here or not, it's just about doing comedy. And, and I feel like you can't learn that unless you throw yourself out there. Right, you have to do the work. Yeah. You can't. Plus, with that, with that kind of hellish gig you mentioned, you got to meet yeah. Dalia, and that has a happy ending. Yeah, it does have a happy ending. <laughs> we talk about that. I tell them that all the time whenever people ask how we meet. And now we're, we're, now we're best of buddies. I love them. So, uh, when you, so that was like a month or two into being in L.A. When you moved down, did you have like a battle plan or a strategy? Like, no, not really. It was mostly like, oh, wait a minute. I'm getting divorced, so I should probably leave... And then I'm like, if I'm gonna leave, I might as well go to L.A. And then it was like, oh, can I live with you, Auntie? And she was like, yeah. And then she was like, no, never mind. And then... <laughs> Did you have any comedian friends? I had a couple, yeah. It was really good. Uh, Timmy Williams from um, The Whitest Kids. Uh, he was really helpful in helping me find a place while I was here. And I had a lot of friends that always... Uh, it was weird when people like believe in you. But you don't, but you're like, hey, my account's super negative. Like, why do you believe in me? I don't have any clothes. How do you believe in me? <laughs> like, but it was always people like Moshe Kasher and um, who, I always remember like Moshe would just be like, I'm not worried about you. Like, you're fine. You're going to be just fine. And I was just be like, you sure? Because I'm pretty sure I might die in the next 48 hours. And <laughs> he was like, no, you're going to be just fine. And, um. And it's just funny because now I always see people like that. Like when I'm on the road and you see people and I'm just like, I'm not even, dude. Because you can just tell when somebody's like, oh, you're special. There's something about you that's just, you're going to do you and you're going to figure it out. And it's just like, I'm, and it's fun when you run across those people. And I like, and I like seeing them now when they have that fear. Because I'm like, oh, I know. And I know me telling you that you're going to be okay isn't even going to help you. But trust me, you are, because Moshe told me, and he was right, because he knew. And uh, it's just nice when when people believe in you. So what was the, what was that kind of crossroads for you from the last time you didn't feel okay to the first time you did? Feel like, uh, oh, no, I, I believe in myself too now. <laughs> uh, probably, I mean, it, it wasn't even, I mean... It was after I moved here, after I moved to L.A. for sure. Because I remember the first six months just constantly calling my manager, just being like, you, you sure I shouldn't just you know look into maybe just getting some regular work? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a temp agency I can call? Yeah, I know I don't have any skills whatsoever, and I have no job history for the past five years, uh, but maybe we should just look into it, and she'd always just call me down and just be like, look, you're, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine, we'll figure it out, and, um, and it just took to probably the end of my first year there when I first uh, got my first role thing doing the kid show for Crash and Bernstein, um, and then right after that I got a job at the Kroll Show, and so I was just like, okay, like now I'm like, oh, I feel okay. I remember when I got a job at the Crow Show, like I didn't even own a computer. Like I had, like, <laughs> I had to go write on the show, and I didn't own anything to write on. So it's a good thing that didn't come up in the interview. <laughs> Do you have anything to write with? Ooh, uh, pen, pencil, yeah. paper. How do y'all do this? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just send you notes? <laughs> Can I type it on my phone? 
And that's good. Yeah, I mean, Nick has been another one of those people who always is like, you're, you're going to be just fine. You're good. Um, and he gave me a job, but I didn't really have the experience and the uh, credits to deserve it. And um, it really helped me out. And I really loved working. I learned so much from working with him uh, that it's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know why I brought that up. I'm just happy. Just want to say that Nick's a cool guy. I like him. <laughs> Well, no, he believed in you. He gave you a shot. Yeah, he gave me a shot. He didn't need to, and I really appreciate it. He's one of the coolest. He's like one of the best bosses I've ever had. Really what did cool. you learn about about sketch writing from that? Um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about sketch and, and, and improv from from working on that show, uh, because it was very loose and very. It was intimidating to have, try to do these scenes, and you're working with like with John Daly and 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 Matt Sanukas and and and. and uh, Jenny Slate and like I mean, Jenny Slate's probably the most intimidatingly um, talented person that I've ever worked with. She's great. Yeah, she's just you just watch her improvise these great scenes just off of like you know two or three plot points that she's supposed to hit, and uh, and then I remember that doing the trial stuff with her on Crowell show, and she do these great things, and I'm just, and I'm like. I don't know. I don't know what to do back to you, uh, but I'm just gonna do what I do, and 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 so I just I was like, I all I really know is that I'm super excited to be here, and I'm happy to be here, and and so that's what I played, and I feel like that really worked out, and uh, but I really just learned from them just how, just how deep and how sharp you can really be with improv, improv, and I learned from Nick just how dedicated and how much work you have to put in to have your own show. Uh, just the hours that I see him put in and the uh, the amount of work to maintain the vision that he wanted. Because uh, I remember things like uh, publicity not really being that popular internally mm-hmm. with some mm-hmm. of the network people. Uh, they were more into the sports things because they wanted to go after those workaholics audiences. Okay. But now when you look back at the show, the most popular characters right. are Liz and Liz. Liz. And that wouldn't have been that way. They would have been phased out if Nick didn't believe in his vision enough to be like, no, these. this is what I like to do. This is what I think is funny. And, and you that, know it's funny. He yeah. knows it's funny. Yeah, he knows it because it was. Everyone knows. I remember because I remember we got those notes and then I remember I was on the road in the middle of Arkansas getting driven uh, to my gig by this guy who I was like, oh, I don't know if this guy is racist or anything. And it's, you know, my own prejudice from probably the, uh, his, his accent. And I just remember him going to be like, uh, well, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, uh, thing, I work for this. I work for the Crawl Show. Oh, Crawl Show? I love Crawl Show. You know my favorite? Publicity. <laughs> and I was just like... Okay, so they're just idiots. They don't know what's going on. I'm in the middle of Arkansas, and this dude loves Liz and Liz. And so I was just like, yeah, you have to, if you know your vision, you have to hold on it, and you have to fight for it. And um, that's what he, he really taught me. And he just taught me to also surround yourself with the people that you like to work with and talented people. That's the best. I mean, all those people who are on Crow Show are now like on ama- doing amazing things. Yeah. And then you go from that to getting not one but two shows because i remember you were part of the enlisted yeah as well as undateable yeah and those both got picked up at the same time oh yeah i remember that because i had a horrible roommate at the time (laughs) who 
was an actress and she was a jerk and she was super jealous and I told her I got picked this because she was doing her pilot season and I just you know I try to just I don't care I don't even want to talk to you about it but she wants to talk about it and so I'm like oh guess what I got this pilot and then guess what I got this other pilot and then she just goes well I guess they I bet they both won't get picked up and I was just like who the fuck are you why do you say this to someone and guess what they both did <laughs> Did you tell her before you told like, Oh yeah. Family? But yes. did you tell her first? Yep. <laughs> I went home and was like, hey, guess like what? This... <laughs> Who's going to like this good news the best? <laughs> they picked uh, Ruby. Wake up! <laughs> I'm moving! And guess what? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, so after after that, then what was like the first thing you did when you realized, oh, I'm gonna be on a on a network TV show? I bought some shoes. <laughs> I bought some fun shoes to celebrate, um, and then I just got an apartment. Uh, I moved in. I moved in with my buddy Ian Carmel for a little bit, uh, but you know, I have my son, and I always wanted to make sure that he had his own space. So then I just got a, a two. When I really was like, oh, I'm going to be working. I was like, I got a two-bedroom apartment for us, and now we're going to look for a house at some point. Uh, and I just was like, oh, cool. I can just take care of my son and buy him Jordans, and he doesn't even know. And I was like, oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> when I was your age, just walking around with fun Jordans. Oh, he's so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> so that obviously has to give you some confidence about your career. You also have this thing on stage sometimes where you're willing to take long pauses in the middle of a joke. What gave you the confidence to be able to do that? Um, I don't, I just, I think, I like, I watch a lot of comedy and I watch a few documentaries and, and a few things that I always heard was just learning about being comfortable with the silence. And so that was one of the first things I always wanted to focus on was the, um, just learning how to, and not, you know, you, there's a, it's the art to making sure you're not milking it too long. Uh, but just making sure that you can set some anticipation. That I'm not, because I remember seeing a lot of comedy at that time, uh, especially on the open mic level, or, or people a little bit after open mics, and it just seemed the feeling of uh, desperation to be liked and of needing to feel silence. And also with my son having autism, um, he's quiet okay. often. And so we would often spend a lot of times not talking. And so just from him and um, I would just be like you know I don't I don't need there to be noise all the time I can just relax and think and so a lot of that is just me bringing that into my jokes where it's just like we'll do this and like once you think about it where do you think it's gonna go <laughs> and then it's like and then we'll turn another way <laughs> we're gonna go around but I but if I don't give you that second to think about it then it's just like it's kind of like you know, a roller coaster without the uh, without the part that where you go up the hill. You know, without without that, it's just you throwing up. <laughs> it's good that you can have that kind of security though to not, because a lot of a lot of young comics I think get insecure with they don't hear. Yeah. Enough of a reaction all yeah. the time. They go, uh Yeah. Panic. Yeah, I feel that all, often, but I think. Um, you know, you just, and a lot of it was me just listening because 
a lot of times when I write, I like I don't miss like I have an idea of where the punchline is. But a lot of times, you know, they'll be like, "Oh no, it it was one beat ahead, or it was one beat after," and I need the audience to let me know that, and then I'll adjust. And so it's like I don't if there's a silence here. Okay, it's like okay, the punchline's not here. That's okay. I'll find it somewhere else. Uh, but it's it's just I guess also just being confident. I guess now. Uh, now that you're doing Undateable live, did did you feel the same kind of uh, feelings doing that first live episode? Uh, About because now you're you're really dependent upon the audience reaction and within a time constraint. Yeah, it's fun though. I feel like it, it really ties into our strengths. Um, I, I think that if you ask any of us who work on the show, uh, we always felt that the best part of the show was the live tapings. And that uh, sometimes the final cuts didn't necessarily match the fun that we remembered having. And so now it's nice to kind of be like, well, this is kind of the best of both worlds of that. Mm-hmm. Where we'll be a little bit more restrained than, you know, our tapings were like four hours and stuff before. Uh, and now they're... And cut, it, cut that down to 22, 22 minutes. minutes. So <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more, less uh, off the cuff, but it, it'll still... It just really showcases what we're good at. I mean, it's it's just a lot of stand-ups on the show, so it's, it's our skill set that we already have. So right. I feel like it's the best move we can make. Do you have uh, a similar pre-show routine now for Undateable? Yeah. That you do for a, a stand-up show? Uh, yeah. In general, I have a routine of uh, before we, we uh, do the show, every time we do the show, you know, we have a general rehearsal that we do beforehand, mm-hmm. and then I go and work out before the show starts to just make sure that I'm hyped up and then I eat a little light dinner but then I also grab a dinner for afterwards because I don't like to eat too heavy and then we just kind of uh, all just I just go over my lines a little bit and then we get ready and then we all kind of circle up and do a little you know like a basketball team where we huddle up together and pump each other up and then we just go out there and do it it's a uh, it's a really it's the closest the being on a sports team I've ever been on for sure. Now, how does that compare to say tonight you're playing at Caroline's up the street from here? Yeah, it's very similar. I, mean, I try to just same thing pretty much. I like I like to uh, do a little workout and then a little light meal and then get ready and go. It's it's very yeah. It's pretty much the same thing. I try to just live my life like that to make sure I have this rhythm of of doing the things that I like to do to make sure that at when it's either showtime or time to record, that's when I'm at feeling my best. That's what I like to do. I don't care about two in the afternoon. <laughs> if uh, if a young comic asks you for for advice, what do you normally tell them? Uh, I mean, it always depends. I, I guess it always really depends on the individual. It always depends on wh- where they're at. Like I said, they just started or... You know, because there, there's always levels, and I feel like, tell me where you're at, and then I can <laughs> help you out, because I can't be like, oh, you do this, and then you get on, like, Conan, if you haven't done an open mic yet, you know, in general, though, it's always like, um, no, find what makes you, you, it's not necessarily always like, what's, the, who's the best joke writer in the world, like, what sets you apart, what, what is it about you that, is different is what you need to write about and find and a lot of times I feel like it's not necessarily like 
oh, I'm cool. You know, so it's like, find the things that are embarrassing about you. Find the things that kind of, uh, whatever I feel like a tinge or something that gets an emotional reaction out of mm-hmm. me. I'm like, oh, that's what I need to write about because that's what I feel. That's what is important to me. And if it's not something, then I'm like, I don't, I don't want to write about that. Like, I don't really do much topical jokes or political jokes or jokes about really anything besides myself. <laughs> Who cares, right? Yeah, because legit, I don't care. <laughs> uh, you, do, uh, you do care about your son, though. Yeah. And now that, you know, you said when you were 12, you knew you wanted to be a comedian. Does, does he know what, what he wants to be when he grows up? Um, I think he wants to work with cars. Like, he loves cars. Like, he, he, he's loved cars ever since he was young. And he's like, he's so knowledgeable about cars in a way that I didn't even know. He's so manly. And I didn't, I'm like, I don't even know where you got this. But he knows like the makes, models, years, everything. His favorite car is a 2008 Ashton Martin DBS. I don't even know what DBS means. He does. Uh, but he knows everything. Dolby. Dolby surround sound. Yeah, but that's not a car thing. I don't think it's the Ashton Martin Dolby. <laughs> Sure, our car fans will be <laughs> but he knows yelling at this. Everything he loves going to car shows, and uh, he's just—I could see him just doing something with cars. So there's no, there's no danger of him entering the, entering comedy or show business. Uh, I can see it. He's got a funny vibe about him. He's got a Harpo Marx type style, <laughs> but I, Mr. Bean type style oh. that I enjoy. He's so funny because he's like doesn't care about people's personal space. One of his favorite jokes, one of things for me to watch him do is that he'll like he just finds a way like if someone's walking to just get right in their way at the perfect time and just cause them to stumble and this and then people look back at me like get your kid and i was like i'm here but and then right after i was like, like good one that's so good you did a good one there <laughs> you really got him good <laughs> he's just really he's he's very funny but i think he uh he always calls cop whenever i'm telling comedy uh, like he, or he'll do an impression of me and so like, he'll grab a microphone and he'll just go blah 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 <laughs> so I don't think he cares for it <laughs> does he impersonate your giggle though <laughs> uh, no the only thing he ever did where he was straight up impersonating uh, a thing I did and I loved it was uh, he did a thing from we watched a dateable and then like a couple days later he just he just goes uh-oh, pretzels. And because uh, I said that in some mm-hmm. episode, and I was just like, oh, you you like that part. And that really, I was just like, oh, you like, you know, for the most part, he like, he doesn't care. But I was just like, you, like, you, in some ways, he thinks it's cool. He likes it. So, so when is, uh, wrap this up, when is the last time you thought about doing something other than comedy? Uh... For a career. Can you imagine a world in which Ron Funches is not making people laugh? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I mean, just when I was, super, you know, ahead of a very bad set, it could happen tonight. You know? <laughs> and then you start looking up cars and going, son, tell me more about these cars. <laughs> yeah, what can I do? But I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like every comic has that where you have those bad sets that make you go look up Craigslist job listings. Uh, but, like, legitimately, like, probably, like, 
probably been a good five years since I ever thought about even like, oh, should I look into doing something else college wise? It was just always like, no, this is gonna be it. Either I'm gonna, either I'm gonna fail and be broke, but I'm gonna be broke and happy, or I'm gonna succeed at it and make a little bit of money. And, and luckily, it's been in that so far. So uh, it's been really good. My son prefers that way for sure, because uh, now he can just get whatever video games he wants, and that's what he's always wanted. <laughs> Well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that your son gets all the video games he needs. He does. He gets multiple copies. Like he'll have a copy of the same game for PS3 and 360. And I'm like, I don't know why you need to do that, but we can afford it. So go ahead. <laughs> and I'm glad that you're still a comedian. Yes, me too. So <laughs> thanks for thanks for talking to me. Dude. Thanks. Well, always a pleasure. Last This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.